ึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงแต่เย็นนะไปลงผ่อนแจงขอบฟ้าไม่แดงก็ไม่ยอมลงถึงใครจะห้ามมันก็ไม่ฟังมันขึ้นมายังถึงใครไล่ส่งรู้หรือเปล่าว่าอะไรกันรู้หรือเปล่าว่าอะไรกันนั่นคือพระจันทร์น้ำมันขึ้นมันลงขึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงลงบางขึ้นตอนเช้าหลังเจ้าไก่โหพุบพุบโผล่โผล่ขึ้นโลไม่ลงพอตกตอนเย็นอ่อนเรียวอ่อนแรงสีเปลี่ยนเป็นแดงดูเหมือนกระดงรู้หรือเปล่าอย่าเดาเดียวผิดรู้หรือเปล่าอย่าเดาเดียวผิดคือพระอาทิตย์เช้าขึ้นเย็นลงขึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงที่สามเลวสามรายกาดมันขึ้นพวดพลาดขึ้นแล้วไม่ลงทําไมจึงขึ้นขึ้นจริงไม่รู้ได้แต่ยืนดูเห็นขึ้นจงจงรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรก็สินค้าเมืองไทยละขึ้นไม่ยอมลงขึ้นขึ้นลงลงลงลงขึ้นขึ้นไม่ยังไม่ยืนขึ้นขึ้นลงลงไอ้อย่างที่สามเลวสามรายกาดมันขึ้นพวดพลาดขึ้นแล้วไม่ลงทําไมจึงขึ้นขึ้นจริงไม่รู้ได้แต่ยืนดูเห็นขึ้นจงจงรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรรู้หรือเปล่าว่าคืออะไรก็สินค้าเมืองไทยละขึ้นไม่ยอมลงนี่คือ Ink Studs ใน CITR 11.9 FM ตอนนี้ผมพูดกับคริสซิลล่าที่เป็นหนังสือของ Sparkplug Is it Sparkplug and Tugboat? Just Sparkplug. Uh, the Heavy Hand, um, as well as you have tons of minis, right? Yeah, I have a bunch. Stud Nuts? Was that what it's called? Oh, Stud, Stud Nuts is like a regular zine that I do. I've got seven issues so far. I don't even have any. I, I didn't do my research properly when I was in the, on the road. I should have picked some up at Ape. You know they're not they're not everywhere, so no. Give you. Wow. Well, I do have. I was going through my stuff, and I have the uh, 
the Drip Mini. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like an oversized, like half uh, legal size sheet of paper. With a nice uh, silk screen cover. Yeah. So I guess uh, tell me a bit about yourself and um, kind of your background in comics, because you've been doing stuff for over a dozen years, around a dozen years. Oh now. yeah, probably. Well, truthfully, since like uh, I think I've made my first minis in like '87 or '88 or something, so it's been forever. But um, that is a while. I think. Yeah, yeah. Around <laughs> then, like, I was my, um. When I was like uh, 18, 19, I worked in copy shops and made zines like every, all the time, pretty much. And that was a, uh, you know, for free, mm-hmm. free copies. I'm sure the statute of limitations is out on that stuff, so I can say that I made many zines in Tucson, Arizona for lots of people. You know, a late night copy guy. You wouldn't be alone in uh, doing that for folks. I know. Uh, oh yeah. There's uh, Kinkos in. Seattle that a whole bunch of the guys in the cartooning scene there worked at. I think Jim Blanchard worked there and they did tons in the middle of the night. Okay, we're in trouble, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so no, uh, yeah, so I've been doing mini comics since then, pretty much. I don't think I've ever really stopped making making them here and there. Some of them are more involved than others, so they take longer, you know. But uh, uh, they're still going. <laughs> What was your uh, first attraction to comics? Um, no, I read them as a kid. Like, and when I was a kid, you know, as a kid, it seemed like every kid read comics that uh, I knew. You know, they all had their favorite superheroes and stuff like that. Um, but at some point, that dropped off, and I guess I never stopped reading comics. Um, I did like. Uh, I don't know, a lot of people I think my age that I talk to, comics dudes, um, like dug around at a library to read whatever, you know, I got the Smithsonian book and whatever they could find, like mm-hmm. the Lover, or, uh, uh, New Yorker type collections and and then, the, you know, your Tintins and what's his name, Lucky Luke and stuff like that. Asterix. Yeah, Asterix. Just like anything you could find that was like some kind of different comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, lots, it's kind of a typical story, I think, with, with guys at my age, kind of pre-internet, teenage years of like just like, hey, there's some Dick Tracy paperback collection. i got to have this and check it out. So, but, uh, but yeah, there's always more stuff to find. Yeah, I guess it was like more tantalizing because you couldn't find a lot of this stuff, so you'd read like one of these, one of these like price guide type books or something, and it would tell you about all these comics that you've never seen and you couldn't find anywhere. Those were the days. You have to kind of root around or find some other older collector nerd who's got some, make you some photocopies or something. But yeah, so I guess I mean I kept kept up reading comics, but I mean I I got underground comics pretty early, and like you know like heavy metal and stuff, probably earlier than I should have. But um, <laughs> they, uh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but. Uh, um, yeah, so I got into the weirder comics as fast as I could, and uh, and I kept up, you know, in the in the eighties with Fantagraphic stuff and stuff like Buzzard and and just kind of mini comics too. What was Buzzard? Pretty great. Buzzard was uh, that's probably later anthology like that. I think Steve Laffler did. Oh, okay. Kind of kind of weirdoish or something. Maybe that was later. I should I should have known that. But it's a good one. 
my bad. Uh, I just talked to Laffler uh, a couple months ago, so. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, so I guess I kept reading them as they came out. Did you go to art school or anything, or? Um, no, I went to a community college in Tucson and uh, took some art classes and printing classes and mis miscellaneous reading, writing stuff. But uh, I took like graphic technology classes, which was and pre-computers. So I was like doing a lot of like pre-press stuff. Yeah. You know, just cutting, you know, photo photo negatives and making stripping and making plates and stuff by hand. And we, I never touched a computer in that class, and then I kind of eventually stopped. <laughs> I was kind of realizing <laughs> that I was doing something that wasn't gonna. That was like kind of becoming defunct as I was learning it. You know. Yeah. But I still I felt a lot of use for some of that stuff. Well, there's you know there, at least mentally you know. I don't think you're alone in that. I think there are a lot of uh, cartoonists that have done that, like, kind of around the same age, where that was something that came up, and they took that, yeah. and then they realized very quickly that that was completely useless. Yeah, and, you know, I was watching... So there was always a guy in the class that would raise his hand and say, hey, you can do this on a computer. You just... Uh, and, and the, you know, the professor would look kind of stare at them blankly. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Who's an ex get a, grab an exacto knife. Time to cut some ruby lists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible! But, Time you're not. But yeah, I mean, some of that, some of that stuff comes in handy. You just sort of like thinking about stuff, you know, putting stuff together, and uh, and, uh, and learning a little bit on the uh, Photoshop and whatnot. So, uh, translates. Are you pretty process oriented when doing your work? Do you have a lot of process behind it? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I try to think of the end product and what I'm going to need to do to make it the best that mm -hmm. I can make it. So yeah, I like to think in something in color. I try to plan for the reproduction, that kind of stuff. So when when did you uh, move out of Tucson? Um, in 98, I believe. Were you involved um, in comic circles outside of Tucson before you moved, or... Uh, of... little, it was mainly correspondence, you know, a lot of pen pals that were kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, there there weren't that many comics folks that I was associating with in Tucson, which is one of the reasons I wanted to get somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, everyone's scattered and uh, just wrote letters and postcards and stuff So for what, the most part. How did you get involved with uh, getting getting your stuff into Paper Rodeo? Um, just just from like uh, Chris Forges was doing, I think Spit and a Half or something. At one point, I saw his comics and just, like sent him some stuff in the mail. I think that was pretty much it. I've only communicated with him through the mail, pretty much, or you know, no phone calls or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think I just sent him a bunch of stuff, and then the next thing I I got like a big rodeo back with a comic strip of mine in it. <laughs> so you were you were setting it to submit or just say, hey, let's uh, kind comics. of a mix of stuff. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of my like you know the silkscreen covered minis and, and uh, a bunch of Xerox stuff that I've been working on at that time. So it was kind of submission, I guess. Yeah. Pretty informal. I was I was just curious. Like I haven't talked to a lot of folks that have uh, submitted to, and just wondering what the communication was like back and forth, or if there was. Yeah, I think any... that was pretty much it. 
a couple envelopes back and forth, and then I got a fat envelope with some papers in it. <laughs> Pretty good. See, so do you you move? Where do you move to from Tucson? To was that to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, yeah. I moved up to Seattle for a while, and then moved down here to Portland. Now I've heard kind of differing things in the comic scene in Seattle. I've like some people find it pretty inclusive, others find there's not much there. What was your experience in Seattle? Yeah, um, I really was. Uh, my girlfriend and I were pretty isolated, and, you know, just trying to make a go of it, getting jobs and everything in apartments, and uh, we weren't getting good jobs. Um, I felt like I mean I don't really know if comics folks up there or I didn't at the time to stay Lasky, I think. Yeah, and I pretty much right away started talking him. Um, but I didn't really get involved in any kind of comics uh, socializing up there. Really, I think I went to like an art show or something. But that was about it. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of trying to get get something going, uh, job wise and everything. And then things just looked a little rosier down here in Portland. We had more friends and uh, opportunities opened up, so we jumped on it. And the living expenses are probably about a quarter. Yeah, it seems definitely a little cheaper. <laughs> I'm in Vancouver, and it's ridiculously expensive up here, and I think Seattle's pretty close. Yeah. Not favorable for folks. Yeah, we were, we were kind of dog-paddling as far as jobs and income and stuff up there, so this definitely eases that a little bit. Now, not seeing any of your kind of past mini-comics, and once again, Mia Culpa, um, how do no they how do they relate to the work you're doing now? Has it been a pretty continuous stream of kind of working in the same? Um, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, well, my main like I've done a lot of like one-off minis and stuff, and like sketchbook kind of stuff. But like my main mini comic book was the Diplomat, and it was just kind of whatever short stories I wanted to put in there. Some would just be like a page, but then I had some like twenty-page stories in there too. And uh, I kind of like always visualize that as just my vehicle for comics mm-hmm. making it for a while just like um, throw whatever new comic story I want in there and then uh, I guess I guess I'm always working on a bunch of nebulous comics ideas and then you know I just like grab one and be like this looks seems like it's about 12 pages worth of comics so I'll turn that into a comic book but I guess like people ask me submission for an anthology or something and I pick one of those same ones out of the pool. Yeah. And uh, so it's all the same kind of comic stories. Well, let's... I guess the, like, the, the heavy hand was kind of the same way. Like I planned on making, it was going to be like a whole issue of The Diplomat would have been that story probably. And uh, then Dylan offered to publish it. So kind of got a little more ambitious with it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your biggest singular work. Yeah, definitely longest single story. Um... How was that for you, kind of pushing to kind of do this bigger piece? Oh, it was, uh, I mean, it was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a little weird working on something, you know, that you're, like, you're not done with right away. Yeah. Or, or even in a reasonable amount of time, you know. <laughs> like, uh, I know, because it took me at least four years to draw that book. And uh, I definitely wanted to be done while I was working on it. But once it's kind of, once I was rolling, you kind of know. You have to follow it, I guess. 
Tell me about the the world of the heavy hand. It's uh, I guess an odd. Um, I don't know how to describe it. There's all sorts of weird elements going into it. It's like this. Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, I guess my first thinking on it is that I was making a comic book, so I wanted it to be comic kind of comic booky. Yeah. So if that makes any sense, as opposed to like trying to represent a real gritty worldview or something. Well, you definitely go for, like, the post-underground big nose. Yeah, I like cartoon guys drawing, like, cartoon animal men and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of just, like, picked out, like, the different settings to kind of go through with, like, a gas station and the kind of weird funky house party and stuff. Um just like I, mean, I, I kind of think of them like comic settings like you might see in like Archie like, yeah. or something where there's like the malt shop and Veronica's dad's house or something um, yeah just like little sets for the scenes to happen in um, I guess like yeah like all the the I don't know like the fact that there's two cities and stuff just seemed kind of like an interesting idea have it stretch between two places and then what goes on between the two cities. But they're not meant to be any specific kind of uh, representation or something, I guess. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of general, just two general locations, like two poles for the action to happen in between. Is it, would you say it's a story of a journey and consequences, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, something about... Uh, um, the stops along the journey and the, like the communication and representation at that those points, you know, um, the uh, just like the I don't know. I, I guess because you have the main character, the Salvin Crabshack, you're kind of you kind of have to pay attention to him, mm-hmm. whether you want to or not. Because he's kind of the protagonist, but uh, you're also kind of seeing what he sees. Um, hmm, I don't know where I'm going with this, but... Uh... <laughs> well, one of the things I, I kind of like about the story is you kind of see how folks represent themselves, and you kind of, and then at the same time you also see how they really are, like, especially with the main mm-hmm. character with Calvin. Like, he he represents himself in a certain way to these women, um, but very bluntly in reality, he's definitely not that. Yeah, that's... That was yeah something I was trying, I thought was pretty funny was the idea that of uh, how people uh, talk about themselves and what they they've got going on versus the reality mm-hmm. of it or uh, or no, non reality of it I guess. <clears throat> One of the things I loved it, is it seems like he just had a different lady in each town and would just. Uh... You know, stay with her for a while, right. and then have the same story of, oh, I gotta leave town now. Gotta catch a bus. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, sort of, uh, sort of a way to, uh, I don't know. Like you could look at each of those individual stories uh, as their own uh, version of the same story, I guess. That he keeps telling himself. Um. And then you kind of see how he has an expectation of that in his life, but that doesn't work out either. 
yeah, there's definitely a sort of like uh, uh, reliance on this like imaginary potential that's going on there. Now, you live in Portland, and the book is about caves. Um, do you ever go spelunking? You know, I actually haven't been to the Oregon caves up here. Um, I've been to a bunch of caves in Arizona, and uh, I always enjoy that. What are the caves uh, in Arizona yeah. like? Um, well, you know, I can't really contrast them with anything else. They're be uh, beautiful. There's, like, a lot of, uh, a lot of mineral, uh, they're, like... I don't know. They had a lot of the stalactites and stuff have like this glistening mineral deposit on them. It's kind of translucent and they're like a light sandy color. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of moisture in the caves that you don't see out in the when you're out, like hiking in Arizona. Mm -hmm. see, that's where the the water flows down into these underground uh, rivers. That's what I was wondering about because I've actually I've been in some caves when I was a young tween. Maybe the best way to describe the age I was, uh, in Oregon, um, and it was really neat, and of course, living in the Pacific Northwest, everything's always wet, so I'm wondering if it was the same kind of, always wet in the, yeah. you know. Yeah, I don't know enough about the geology, but um, I think, I mean, I'm sure it's a different kind of world underneath the surface as it is above the surface. What interests... Comparably different. Yeah. What interests you about caves? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I'm totally interested. I actually have a touch of claustrophobia down there, but maybe it's that exhilarating feeling of being in there or something and seeing this other world down there. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty different looking, different landscape. Uh, I don't know. I like I like uh, surface landscapes too that are a little uh, more. I don't know. I'm not sure what. Just, I guess, uh, like a, a jump in the, the way you look at your landscape from your from your day-to-day -day life or from the, what you expect. Like, I like it, like northern Arizona when you get up to, like, Monument Valley and stuff, and there's, like, red sand and, and these, like, great monol stone monoliths and stuff that just, like, create a bad erosion, and it's, it's pretty uh, otherworldly. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to remind folks, I'm talking to Chris Silla about his book, uh, The Heavy Hand, as well as different minis, and being in Kramerzerga, which we'll get to as well. Climbing in caves. And climbing in caves, or not climbing in caves, um, as, as he just stated. Yeah, they get pretty scary down there. Yeah, I couldn't, you know, I went, went to the cave, and they have like two trips. You have like the you know, beginner's trip where you kind of go in this one part and ooh, this is neat and then you get to this, to the end of the cave and there's like this foot and a half two foot opening and that's for the advanced and it's like I couldn't imagine going through this little opening to go and see more stuff, like it just seemed too uh, squeezing through those little tunnels yeah yeah. Apparently, yeah no, I'm, I'm a little, not that adventurous yeah there's just something about being stuck somewhere and not knowing you have a way out quickly. I don't right. know. I'm squeezing any spot that's too tight, you know? Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Now, I'm curious about some of the characters within the book. Um, kind of death in the donkey at the end. Or maybe I shouldn't. Did I just spoil the whole book? Um, <laughs> I don't 
think so. Okay. Probably nobody will recognize those uh, names or something. Well, just uh, I'm curious if there's any kind of specific. Uh, the, when I think of a donkey and you know death riding it, there's something that makes me feel it's a little biblical. A little what? Biblical. Yeah, I mean, I like the Bible so, for that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't specifically set out to have any kind of biblical allegory with the donkey. Um, I actually, thought, I don't know what the. I'm not sure where uh, the. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think that the donkey was introduced. I had I woke up and just had that idea, like from a dream or something, because they had that character, the agent of death, just kind of accompanying those one-eyed being creatures, mm-hmm. and they were just kind of like a partnership as I was working on it, and then. I woke up with the thought of him coming out of the water with the donkey. It was like a patchwork, cute, like a cute stuffed animal kind of donkey, and not like a realistic donkey. So he's more of a, I mean, he's a cartoon animal. Yeah. And then that's a cartoon man, or supernatural man. Um, All right, I don't know if I answered that question. (laughs) No, no, I think you got it. Um, were psychedelics ever a factor for you? Uh, not in the comics, no. No. There's. I can't. Oh, sorry. That's... <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, recommend any kind of psychedelic. Um, but definitely not one drawn. There, there's something I get from the heavy hand that that feels kind of like a bad well, trick like... to me. Yeah, I like a bad trip kind of story, I guess. Um, I think uh, what I, I like the uh, the uh, something you know the story going on beyond below the surface. I think and it's a, usually it's like you know the surface element is big and psychedelic kind of experience or something, uh, looking behind the veil or whatever doors of perception kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You're really quiet. Sorry. Am I like, yeah. quiet? I gear losing me. Yeah, there we All go. Right. That's better. Right. How's that? That's better. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. So uh, no, I can't. I, yeah, I couldn't. Uh, couldn't make a comic book under the influence of any kind of brain-altering substance. No, I, and I don't think a lot of people can make comics. Well. Yeah. High necessarily, only maybe in extreme you situations. Just end up poking holes through the paper and stuff. Yeah, or just spending a long time on one page. Yep, just a concentric spiral. Yep, little lines, little lines. Well, yeah, no, I guess I guess the the bad trip is like a good story uh, structure. I think I probably have used it a few times, but um, yeah, because you get things taking more and more unpredictable turns and that's just a, to me that's just entertainment I feel like your uh, story in uh, Kramer 6 is a bit of a bad trip too um yeah that's like the police uh, action one yeah right yeah no I like I of like I mean that's a shorter story and so I was able to kind of 
just drop right into a kind of gross scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and not really, just kind of explore that little horrible apartment party scene for the cops for a little while and then get out with no resolution. You just wanted to play. I like the idea there's like, it's kind of like always going on somewhere. There's this horrible cop party. It's like an episode of The Wire. Uh, just like never stops. You can still find them there with that liquor store. <laughs> oh, going away their years in a, in a sad situation. Do you enjoy working with color? I do. Do you draw? I, do. I like uh, drawing with. I, I draw with a lot of like that. Currently, there's a lot of markers and colored pencil and watercolor and stuff. I I remember so I enjoy that. when that book came out and that story su- stuck out to me. Like I didn't really know your work. Um, and then when I was prepping for this, I saw you had something Kramer, so I went through my Kramers, and I was like, oh yeah, this one was great. It was kind of a good, you know. Kind of like, that and Victor Cairo's story. It was kind of you know different levels of madness. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's nice to do a color. You know, working with those guys that put together Kramer's are god because you know it's going to look spot on, mm-hmm. and they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it look like a weird color copy or something. No, no, it doesn't. It looks so, like. Uh, I'm so yeah, you could I could I could do whatever I wanted pretty much, and I knew they would reproduce it very well. Good. Sammy just basically asks you to do a story for it, and yeah, yeah, that's another situation where you know, he asked me to do a story, and I'm kind of like, well, I've got this. That would, that would have been in the Diplomat, uh, that short story, and then I got to do it all big and probably probably expanded a little bit or something. But uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of I don't know that comic book has such a reputation for being really far out. Uh, and you know, anti-comics or whatever uh, from comics people at large or something. I don't know. I've heard complaints about it, and then they ask me to do a comic. I'm like, all right, I'll give you a police story for it. Like, it was like a, I pretend that uh, Sammy is like Jim Warren asking me to do something for Erie Magazine or something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can do these disturbing, drugged-out cops. Um, police monthly or something. I don't get that feeling that it's anti-comics. Maybe it's just... Oh, no, I don't feel that way at all. I just, yeah. I guess I just heard that kind of criticism about it or something. No, it's a bunch... It's it loves comics, I think. I th- yeah, I think it's one of the more modern comics uh, adventures, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't get for, uh, I mean, it's full of good uh, stuff, so... Uh, I was going to say, it's, it seems like, a, like it's got, like, Dave Lasky in there, who's the biggest proponent of comics I can think of now. Oh, that uh, Carter family story. Yeah, great stuff. I wish he would finish it. Or no, I think it's finished. I'm not too sure. Like it's either it's finished, but they're waiting for rights for the songs they want to use in it. Oh man. So it's like this whole, just legal rigmarole. Like just it's just kind of locked up somewhere. Yeah. Because I that I really loved that story, the uh, Carter family, and I read it. I've read it several times. And David Lasky's is one of those guys where you know. Yeah, he's always spot on. Yeah, who doesn't love him? If they don't, I don't like him. 
send them this way, and we'll <laughs> kick the stink off of them. There we go. <laughs> now, you, you also did a story in the massive Kramer 7. Um, tell me yeah, about... Yeah, giant size. Yeah, that one's kind of this trip into hell, almost. Yeah, I mean, I kind of did that. I It's all about, like, you know, this kind of obsessive collecting and, uh, and uh, materialism and stuff. And I kind of did it, like, after packing up my house, everything in my house, and then, like, visiting my dad and, like, dealing with a bunch of his stuff that he's, you know, collected over the years and stuff. And I was feeling, like, swamped and, and that stuff. And so I kind of did a comic around that. What kind of... Uh... I, I thought it was kind of... I don't know. Part of it was, like, the reason I chose that to do for that is because it's kind of a such a weird object that I knew it was going to be in. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would have some some uh, resonance with the uh, people that buy a giant freaky comic book <laughs> have to think about their <laughs> collections and the reasons they're buying stuff or something. I like the uh, the guy with the uh, videotape collection um, trying to watch it all, and it's like me with my comics. I don't think I'll ever read all of them. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> the same thing. I don't want to end up one of those guys crushed by a stack of, uh, you know, old, old, uh, Dell comics or something. Killed by John Stanley and Carl Barks. Mm-hmm. It's possible. It's, it is. We'll avoid that fate. I've, uh, got my Kramer 7 up on the top shelf of my bookshelf, and, uh, uh I'm sure if there's ever any minor earthquake, it's gonna come down and kill me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, whirl right at you. Yep. It, it, it's next to the uh, Walton Skizik giant book. So the two of them, I'm done. You get sandwiched. Yeah. No, it'll take me down. What are your uh, collecting habits? Do you still maintain them, or did you kind of run um, away from it after this? It petered out a little bit, but I still collect a lot of stuff. I like uh, I like going to the comic conventions and picking up old back issues of this stuff. Um, the bargain bins, you know. You were saying uh, Dells. Is that one of your bigger things you kind of suss out? Yeah, I definitely like the Dell comics, the funny animal stuff like Andy Panda and that kind of thing. Oswald the Rabbit. And, and of course, yeah, I like, like Little Lulu and stuff like that. It's all pretty entertaining. But I like I like the Bugs Bunny and and Porky Pig, that kind of stuff. Does that stuff um, work work its way into your work when you have, like... Um, I'd like to think so. But uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe some of it is more like something. I don't know. This might sound ridiculous, but like that drip comic feels yeah. to me like more like uh, car- cartooning, like uh, Porky Pig or something. But uh, I don't know if I'm way off base. The dr- the drip comics kind of neat because I really feel like um, you really slow down with it. Yeah. Or you try and like play with how time is moving through the comic. Yeah, I think so. I guess the Dells don't really do that, but I guess maybe it's maybe it's more like my reaction to reading those Dells or something. I do slow down and check it out. I think it's, I think the stuff that's going on with those characters can be real funny because it's, uh, it a lot of times it's their like normal cartoon life, and then they get caught up in some crazy scheme or something. <laughs> <laughs> But I like to savor those uh, funny uh, animal stories, I guess. I don't know. 
so maybe that's my reaction is to slow down my comic somehow. Yeah. It's, I guess I'm thinking of the reading experience versus the drawing experience or something. Where do you um, see your comics taking you? <laughs> um, your future comics? I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine not drawing any comics. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll draw them wherever I go. I can't imagine. I don't really think of them taking me anywhere. Well, like, we're, I, like, wherever I go. What are you working on right now? Um, right now, I'm working on a couple pieces for art shows. There's going to be an art show in Seattle at the Fanographic store. Oh, the one that uh, Max is or, uh, curating? It, yeah, Jason Miles, I think, and uh, Max Clawfelter. Yeah. Putting on a show. And so I'm doing something for that, and then for a show with Giant Robot in San Francisco. I'm doing some anthology piece, art comics pages. There's a comics anthology coming out of Bellingham, I'm pretty sure. I'm working on some pages for Bellingham. Yeah. Odd. Yeah, no, I know. It's you know. It's, it's the comics called Emergence, but I haven't seen anything. I've talked to some folks involved, but I haven't really seen anything about it. Yeah, but I'm drawing stuff for that. And I've got yeah, I've got a bunch of nebulous book ideas that eventually will happen. Um, I'll be doing a diplomat collection, idle minis. Probably this coming year. Then. Nice. Well, I uh, enjoyed the heavy hand and uh, all you. the other stuff. It's uh, it's good comicking. There's something uh, I love about the uh, just the yeah, like the big the big nose. I love big noses in comics. They're uh, funny and phallic. Exactly. That's the the two most important things you need to have. Funny and phallic. <laughs> That's what makes a good comic. All right, well, thank you so much, Chris, for uh, chatting with me All today. All right, well, thanks a lot. And thanks for calling me up. You're dumb when the air hits your eyes You want to go back but there wasn't none Now you've been going back for so long That you think there is one It makes me laugh to hear you say how far you come When you barely know how to use your thumb So you know how to count to one You messed in the sky and picked a banana and threw it at the sun You saw a flash in the water and now there ain't one One Back something that wasn't there. You brought back something that wasn't there. Pull back the adhesive tape. You're in a scrape. Pull back the adhesive tape. You're in a scrape. There's no escape. The leaves are getting thicker every day. The leaves are getting thicker every day. Flash Gordon says, you're too gay.